Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million women worldwide who have joined Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you the bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. What is up? Welcome back to another edition. Monday, September 5th of Talking Ball. We are going to break down week one a little bit. Some of the storylines coming out of week one of college football. Wild weekend. Really, really made you appreciate what is the spectacle that is college football. Big fan. Um, we're going to do a mailbag. Big mailbag this today. Get all your questions out of the way prior to the season. Had a lot of people reaching out to the PFF underscore Talking Ball Twitter account. Make sure you're following that and sending in your mailbag questions there. We had a great interview with Chargers head coach Brandon Staley and then going to end the show with fun to watch. Reviving that for this show today and first round lock segment, first one of the season. Some very obvious ones right off the rip that we're going to have to blow through, but doing one of those every single weekend until college football is over. I only missed, I think, two last year. I'm going to try to better that. One or one or zero is what I'm trying to go for. I know I missed Marvin Leal. No, I missed Kobe Dean. I think that was it, though, for my first round locks last year when I did 20. So we shall see how that fares this upcoming season. But let's get into talking ball. College football. We're going to start with this. News on Friday. College football playoff expanding to 12 teams. According to Pete Thamel of ESPN, obviously, the format of that TBD and how it's actually going to shake out could be as soon as 2024, reportedly. But what has been proposed is apparently this. Buys for the top four, so 12 teams, with buys for the top four, but they have to be conference champions. Top-ranked conference champions, which means last year, Georgia would not have been a buy, would not have gotten a buy. Georgia would have had to play Pittsburgh in round one. And had to play three games to then prove that they were the national champion, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I, I've been big on the I don't want injuries to decide the college football national champion. Like the fact that John Mechie and Jameson Williams got hurt last year was a big reason why Alabama lost the national title game. Having to play fewer games, like you want to see both teams at full strength. I don't think anyone wants to see a replay of the Colt McCoy, Texas Bama natty. That was horrible. Garrett Gilbert rolling out there. No one wants to see a backup. And with more games, I just worry about the chances of that happening and someone getting hurt. But I will say what this does, opens the door for group of five. Back in 2020, Coastal Carolina would have made it. They would have gotten a chance. They would have had to play Notre Dame, but they would have gotten a chance. It does open that door. I also think it expands the recruiting sphere in that with such a playoff-driven sort of atmosphere in college football that we've gotten to, 
recruits didn't want to go to teams that weren't going to play in the playoff or that they didn't know for certain. So when you had Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, Georgia, those teams getting there pretty much every single year, that's going to be your college, the consolidation of talent is going to go to those teams because they know that they're going to play, be playing on the biggest stages. I think this opens it up to a lot of other programs to be getting recruits because you'll still have a chance to be in the college football playoff. Like the kind of the goal for everyone, just being in the mix, just getting on that stage. Now a lot more teams get to do it. So I do think it helps that from that perspective and the kind of with players getting paid now, it opens the avenue for more financial opportunities for them. Having more games leads to them getting more sponsors and more money, bigger stages. So I do think from all three of those perspectives, like it's probably good for the players, but I'd still do worry about the injury aspect. And I worry about this aspect. With four conference champions, that means Notre Dame's locked out of the top four, which means I think for the first time, if this goes through and is approved, Notre Dame's going to join the Big Ten. It's a sad reality. But if you can't be a top four seed based off of your independent status, you're kind of fucked. Like, you're, just, you're not going to agree to that if you're Notre Dame. Or if that's forced upon you, you are going to then join a conference. So, Do you think that there's like... It's just, I mean, because people are already kind of speculating it. Do you think it's just eventually going to be like a couple mega conferences? Yes. You know, like I, it's, I it do. seems like that's where it's headed, which if that's the case, then Notre Dame probably joins anyway. I do. I, I definitely think it will end up being whether it's, so it's, what's it trending towards? You know, some of the big players in the Pac-12 are going to move to the Big Ten. You're going to get Big Ten versus SEC. I think you're going to see some ACC teams break off to the SEC. Those be the two powerhouse conferences. I think the Big Ten or Big 12 maybe consolidates with the Pac-12 to a degree. Instead of probably a power five, you have like a power two and then maybe a middling two and then a bottom five or whatever you want to call it. It's just it's really going to consolidate into two big conferences at some point or another. And I do think the NCAA at some point or another is just going to be defunct. These conferences are going to say we can govern ourselves. We, we don't need you coming in slapping sanctions on us for, you know, paying players when that's just the way of the world today. So. I do think that's ultimately what we see. I'll do some more. Hitting on some games here quickly in the Talking Ball segment. I was at Notre Dame, Ohio State over the weekend. The atmosphere was good. Rain kind of killed the tailgating scene, I will say. Um, could have been better weather. It was really kind of miserable for a good portion of the afternoon. But Ohio State's really great atmosphere. I mean, in that stadium at halftime after they missed that field goal, the buttholes of... Every Ohio State fans were dimes. I mean, they, they were, it was tight. They, they were scared. I'll just say that. Did not expect the game we saw. But man, Notre Dame was there. I, I, I went in with low expectations. I watched that Georgia-Oregon game prior to it at a bar there, Ethel Tank, right just off of uh, campus, and was like, if this is a preview of the Notre Dame game, like, I'm going to die tonight. It's, it's going to be awful for me. I did not, I expected... I did not expect them to keep as close as they did. I did not expect them to have a lead late into the third quarter. Um, but so encouraging from that standpoint, but discouraging from second straight game where they've collapsed in the second half. Bowl game last year against Oklahoma State. Seven points the last two second halves Notre Dame scored. That's concerning trend. And obviously proves that they belong with some of the big boys in college football, but offensively, you kind of just knew they didn't have the skill position talent. Tang with LSU, and that's what... Played out in the end. I don't even. I wouldn't even call what CJ Stroud did. I don't think he played poorly in that game. It wasn't a banner game by any means. But I just think Notre Dame's got a good all around defense. They have a lot of you know may not have some star names on that defense like Kyle Hamilton last year, but they have quality guys at every single position at all three levels. And 
that helps to be a good defense in college football. So that's the best offense you're going to face all season. So to do what they did, very encouraging sign. Um, I think if they went out, they make the playoffs still, truthfully. They got Clemson on the schedule. They got USC on the schedule. Obviously, two big ifs if they can win those games. But if they beat those two teams, they'll be in the mix. Um, on to Georgia-Oregon game. Though. Hold on. You're just going to ignore your tweet from yesterday about the Wendy's bathroom? Oh, you're just gonna, I was hoping just to um, because I was hoping to erase that from my memory altogether. But I did go out after the game and ate like three euros on the street. Cause if you've ever been to Columbus, a plus street meat, the street meat's insane. Mm -hmm. And then I was just, after, it's everywhere too. After the game, walking out of the game, first thing I do is get street meat, go into a bar. Um, and then we wanted to go to a different bar. And on the way, to the next bar, I got street meat again. And then after last, after the last bar we're at waiting for the Uber one more time for good measure, woke up in the morning feeling less than a hundred percent. I don't think I took a sip of water the entire day, which Hand up. That's on me. That was just irresponsible from the rip. But then on the way back, I'm not feeling great in the car. I mean, hour and a half drive from Columbus to Cincinnati. I've done worse. We did worse than the tailgate tour last year. Some of those tailgate drives were, uh, were not great. I'll just say it. We're, we're literal contemplation of what am I doing with my life sort of thing. This was not that, but my stomach was feeling pretty rough. Roll into a Wendy's. So I'm like, I need something. I just... They need something to get me back to life. Honey, butter, chicken biscuit. And I go into the bathroom and I shit you not. Not even, wasn't trying to do that there, but I did. Um, the biggest poop I've ever taken in my entire life. I have a picture. I, we won't put it up. No. But no. I, I took a picture because I was in awe of what just happened. And it, I've never, I've never clogged in my life a public toilet. I clogged a public toilet. Did not know that was actually possible. Usually those things are foolproof because they don't want to be dealing with that. You know, daily, you're a fast food restaurant. People ain't taking, you know, baby goose poops in that. It's going to be getting a uh, workout most days. And yeah, somehow I clogged it. So I not bet my proudest moment. I, I bet there was more than, I, like, there's a lot of Wendy's in between Columbus and Cincinnati. And I bet there, like, there's a lot of Ohio it's State the Wilmington and, Wendy's location. Yeah, like, I, I bet there was a lot of Cincinnati people that went up to that game. And you probably weren't the only one. I was so. probably, it was probably a buildup, right? You know, it was probably... Someone got through a little earlier than me, did some damage, and then you can, it can only take so many hits before it's just going to raise the white flag um, and say, I've had enough. So that was the Wilmington Wendy's toilet story. All right. Georgia, Oregon, though. <sighs> Fuck. I, I, I didn't want to think that Georgia was this good. You know, I'm, I'm like, they lost so much. And I'm looking at the draft board, and I'm looking at this roster. I'm like, oh, yeah, they still got a lot of talent. But, like, they can't be that good, right? Like, like they can't – they still got Stetson Bennett, right? And all of a sudden, Stetson Bennett walking around like it's fucking Justin Fields out there. That was the best game I've ever seen from Stetson Bennett. It wasn't even close. It's amazing what confidence does at the quarterback position. I mean, he probably went six months of walking around Athens with his, you know, big swinging dick acting like the man – and bought into it. Like now he is the man, like actually playing like the man out there for the Bulldogs because he had probably two or three throws in that game that I was just like, this is the same guy, the, the same guy that first half against Alabama couldn't, couldn't get the offense off the ground. Um, yeah, that, that was impressive to watch. Obviously Georgia's defense, they don't rebuild, they reload. They're still loaded with NFL talent. Christopher Smith, the safety had, what a hell of a game. Um, that, that, that was very, very impressive what he put on tape. Tyke Smith as well. Uh, they just, all three levels, they still 
they still got the goods. Like I said, six players in the PFF top 100, the second most of any team. Georgia is, if Stetson Bennett's playing like that, Georgia's right in the mix. Georgia's probably second best team in the country, if that's the case. I would take them over Oregon, if, or excuse me, over Ohio State, obviously over Oregon, if Stetson Bennett looks like that guy this season. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared of Georgia. Uh, I'll just say it. LSU Florida State, though, was the game of the weekend. And, I mean, not really. I think we overreact often to games that have sick endings because objectively for the first 55 minutes of that game, it was not a good game. No one watching was like, this is enjoyable. You know, I'm having, I'm having a good time. No, that was not the case. Um, the ending, though, insane. I don't have to describe I'm not going to describe it to you here. If you've seen it, you know. Muff punt, fumble at the goal line, touchdown with one second left, blocked extra point to end the game. I said it on It's Just Football, which if you haven't seen It's Just Football, every, every 11 a.m., Monday through Friday, me and Trevor Sikma here at PFF doing a daily show reacting to the best stories, big storylines around the NFL, more visual aspects on a podcast. So make sure to tune in on YouTube, 11 a.m. live every single day. But I said it on It's Just Football. I don't think Jaden Daniels knew that the field goal got or the extra point got blocked. He's sitting on the bench, like smiling with a camera on him right after it panned to him. Who expects that? Like no one expects the extra point to get blocked right after you have that drive to tie up or should have tied up the game. Interesting storyline to me though, from a draft perspective, Kayshawn Booty, wide receiver for LSU. He was wide receiver one on the PFF draft board coming in this year. I mean, explosive as hell hurt down the stretch though, last year, um, so, you know, s- still needs to put on from a draft perspective. Can't just do a Jamar Chase and kind of sit out his junior year or quite literally sit out his junior year. But still a seventh overall prospect from its pure talent perspective heading into the season on the PFF draft board. Did not look interested in playing yesterday. Two catches for, I think, like 20 yards all day. Goes on to his Instagram after the game and scrubs it. No LSU mentions. Story to monitor for sure. Um but yeah, Brian Kelly era kind of picking up where the Coach O era left off is probably an accurate description of where that game was because Florida State has not, that's their biggest win in a minute for Florida State. That was uh, quite the win. All right, USC, Arkansas, not much to talk about this one. The, one of the few ranked versus ranked matchups this week one. You see, though, the, the one thing, you know, when you are why small schools kind of just still continually to struggle to hang with the big boys. And we saw it in the Alabama game last year. It's the line of scrimmage. The line of scrimmage is the most difficult position to lock down as a team that's, you know, has a limited recruiting base. There just are so few six, four, 300 plus pound guys that can move at anywhere that exists on the planet. And when you have limited recruiting base like UC does, it's just difficult to find dudes at those positions. And we saw it, again, in this Arkansas game, offensive line overmatched, defensive line struggling in the run game. It's just, that's kind of the thing. I, I think they're still, like, they still hung with Arkansas for sure. Like, they still have great players on the defensive side of the ball. They, they have reloaded a lot of positions, but offensive line still going to be probably your biggest issue for UC trying to compete long-term. Not even going to mention the quarterback play that Ben Bryant missed like a couple he's not touchdowns. I mean, you, you understood that. He kept him that in that Desmond game, Ritter. but like he missed a couple throws that yeah. like probably should have directly led to touchdowns. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you are going, you're not going to have a Desmond Ritter every year. That, that's 
it's why we were so high on him last year. It's like that is an NFL quarterback. Um, I get that maybe UC's offense wasn't a world beater last year, and some of that's schematic for keeping it 100. But you're not going to have a Desmond Ritter of your Ben Bryant's probably like your what you should expect um, at just any level of college football <laughs> at the quarterback position. I don't think he's disastrous, but yeah, he, he left some on the table there. With Desmond Ritter, they probably win that game. Last one to get to, and it's the team I was high on, Utah. They need to just fire their athletic director. What the hell was he thinking scheduling a cross-country week one SEC game? That's the, like going from Utah to Florida itself is an absolute haul. He, he's living 15 years ago. Right. When Utah like would have to do that. When they had to, respect. yeah. When they had Which to, like, you don't, you don't have to now. They don't. They're the class of the Pac-12, or, or have been the class of the Pac-12 in recent memory. They obviously, you know, easier said than done. You schedule these games out like a decade in advance. I get that, but my God, I mean, it's just anyone is going to struggle week one against Florida with a new regime at Florida. That is the Gators, Billy Napier. And obviously going against someone like Anthony Richardson, who is, fuck. That, that's, I mean, he wasn't great. He wasn't like great from a passer perspective. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't how Joe Burrow looked right out the gate at LSU where it's like, okay, yeah, that, that was QB 101. But what he's capable of and, and just how, how, much he, how quickly he accelerates at that size. Yeah, I mean, he looks like an elite tight end in just the way he moves. And probably could. I mean, we talked on when I was on the NFL show, Florida's the tight end to quarterback you, apparently. Or excuse me, quarterback to tight end you. They've had a lot of those guys in the past. He's not going to be one of them because he's just too talented as a passer. So intrigued to see where he goes. Obviously against Utah, Cam Rising, the pick at the end, brutal. But yeah, this Florida uh, Florida QB man, Anthony Richardson, uh, he, he there's not a lot of guys that think can usurp Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, just because of how good they've already played football and that they're like talented in their own right. I, I like I don't see Will Levis ever doing it because just because you feel strongly about those other two in Stroud and Bryce Young. But Anthony Richardson is such that he could. He could be your number one overall pick next year if we see consistency as a passer going forward. Because over nine over hundred yards in the ground, nine carries, and it's like it just looked easy. I don't know. Scary dude. That's that's a scary dude to play against. You just no one's even at the next level. Not a lot of people are going to want to see him with that rushing ability. Can I throw in a couple honorable mention games here? Let's hear it. Uh, ECU, NC State, and App State versus North Carolina. Those were just good games. I mean, I know that's not really going to affect like the national landscape, mm -hmm. but those were just like, dare I say, those were fun to watch. Oof, like those were, were just good watch. ass games. The NC State or. North Carolina against App State was out of this world. Um, just the back and forth. Drake May, the UNC quarterback, only a sophomore. He, he looks legit. Excited to see him versus Caleb Williams and kind of that quarterback class and how that shapes up. But yeah, UNC playing some fun football. And I'll take it back to Thursday night, actually. How about that Pitt game? Pitt-West Virginia. The, the drop from Bryce Ford Wheaton to then pick six. An ultimate demoralizing drop um, to lose you a football game. Don't see that often, but it's what makes college football college football because the, the swings on a whim like that. For the guy who was their best player the whole game, Bryce Ford Wheaton, until that drop, was their best player for West Virginia until he turns into the GOAT. That's what makes this game special. Love it. If you haven't heard by now, 
Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hammy or you have a player on your team that hasn't been getting in the end zone. And then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. That's right, $100 in free money. Also, if you play 10 of those 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So basically, you are paying less than what you would pay at PFF.com. And it's a little, little cheat code there for you. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft in your best ball mania team today. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at one 800 889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPPANY or text HOPPANY 467-369. One per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. Let's get to some mailbag though. And then we'll get to the Brandon Staley interview. I wanted to get all the mailbag questions you guys had in here ahead of week one of the NFL slate just to get back to the peeps. Get you guys involved in the show here. Um, as a reminder, the speak pipes link is in the description or it should be now. I don't know if it was when I said it last time. Yep. Spe- link we, should be in the description. It, now. We got it squared got the away. Link yeah. is in the description. It'll be there. Those are for Thursdays. Those are on Thursdays. We will do takes those. You got to come with some takes. We've already had a number of people come with some takes. It'll be on Thursday show. But if you want to speak pipe mailbag question, I'm just going to transcribe it. Um, because the mailbags all listening to you guys ask questions is not uh, quite as interesting. It's just me speeding through the question. People don't have that kind of time to waste. So Dylan sent in his speak pipe, and his question was this. Athletic ability, arm strength, isn't the end-all, be-all for a quarterback ceiling, he says. What are some other traits necessary for a high-ceiling quarterback? And I agree. I, I mean, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, no one's raving about their ceilings coming out. You, you know, no one's like, oh, the, the talent, you know, the arm. T-. No one's like raving like, oh, man, they hit their ceiling. Look out when their ceiling's still pretty damn high. You know, that's playing the quarterback position is still a skilled, like sort of, it's still between the ears before it's anything else after that. Now the stuff after that helps a lot in terms of either helping your between the ears or in terms of making up for when you don't have necessarily the best between the ears, but it's still a decision-making game. 
it, it is still how good you are. So accuracy. So what are the other abilities that translate to ceiling? Processing speed is one. A, one B. Can you diagnose and get the ball where it needs to go every single time? If you can do it every single time, you do not have to be the most accurate. You do not have to be the most talented physically. If you can read coverages, play with timing, and get the ball where it needs to go, you don't have to have a ton of physical tools. Now, that is also something that's difficult to measure, difficult to do, and hard to kind of project out on a learning curve, right? So seeing a guy do it at one offense in college doesn't necessarily, or not do it on the flip side, doesn't necessarily mean that's a death knell for his prospects of doing so in the NFL. So that's tough to sort of get a handle on. But a lot of times it comes down to like, how are they playing the game of football? You know, like that's why a lot of, a lot of you know, evaluation is still like, did they play well? Like, are, are their numbers good? At the collegiate level, was it were they did they not crumble in big games, sort of thing? And that revolves around that. So, definitely, processing speed is the one like high ceiling thing that doesn't get you know lumped into the high ceiling conversation. Accuracy poise or kind of uh, accuracy, obviously, actually gets talked about when you talk about high ceiling poise is kind of with processing speed. It's just like when the moment's big, are you Bo Nix or are you Stetson Bennett? Um, Joe Burrow. Are you Joe Burrow? Are you? Uh, Not everybody because, can be Joe Burrow. I say that a lot. It's true. And that's, that, that is like, that's the thing. Joe Burrow is not more physically gifted than, you know, hundreds of quarterbacks around NFL and college football. Joe Burrow is more poised, processed better, is more accurate than ever. Shit. Maybe all, maybe all, you know. So that's, uh, that's what I evaluate the quarterback position. All right. Back nine, Brad on Twitter comes to this. I have a question about Kenny Pickett, and this is coming from a Steelers fan. So prepare yourself for some bias, as I have definitely begun to drink the Kool Aid. If Kenny continues to perform the way he has looked and finishes the year as top sixteen QB, whew, with the potential to have a huge sophomore year jump like Joe Burrow, and what is predicted to happen for Lance and Lawrence, how do we then revisit the teams passing on him in the draft? For example, since he was often mocked to end up there, but if Kenny ended up in Carolina, who has better offensive line and comparable weapons at wide receiver and running back, then it would be fair to assume his level of play isn't solely based off. On Pittsburgh, having five offensive linemen and skill players. So if the offensive units are similar and he turns out to be what it looks like he can be, does Iki Aquanu look like a bad pick now? That was a lot. I'm sorry. So the gist is, Kenny Pickett turns out to be a you know franchise quarterback. Do we say the Panthers screwed up? I, I push back on that because I do think any draft decisions, anything, shit, any decisions in general that you're judging general managers off of, that you're judging, um, you know, head coaches, whatever, franchises off of, it, you can only go based off the information you had at the time, right? Anything else is revisionist history, hindsight bias, you are putting other factors in play. So if there was a strong, like, no matter what happens with Trevor Lawrence's career in Jacksonville, no one there should be blamed for, no one, I guess, you should not blame the Jaguars if Trevor Lawrence fails. It's, it's not a bad decision if Trevor Lawrence fails drafting him and say Zach Wilson or Mac Jones turns out better. It's not because no one would have said so at the time. You would have been crazy to say so at the time. The, the, maybe there are one or two people saying, I have this guy higher. You know, I have maybe Zach Wilson higher, or that guy higher. But when the populist opinion, 
when the sort of groupthink is such, and so much so, so overwhelmingly, that is Trevor Lawrence. And then it turns out not to be. It's like you, you can't say that was a bad pick or a bad decision um, because of the hindsight. Everyone at the time would have done the same thing. It's like saying Brian Urlacher was a bad pick for the Bears in 2000 because they passed on Tom Brady. No one would have drafted Tom Brady ninth overall. So I, I, I push back on that. No one would have drafted. There were so few people saying draft Kenny Pickett number six overall. Draft Kenny Pickett top 10. Some people said, you know, mocked him there. But no one was like, the Panthers have to draft Kenny Pickett. This is the future of the franchise. The amount of people that had that opinion so limited that I do not think um, we, can, we can go back and be like, that was an awful like that was a bad decision. I, I just, I think you still have to look at what was the opinion at the time of stuff and anything else would be revisionist history to say otherwise. So. The opinion at the time, I think mostly was Malik Willis. Yeah. I and, think a lot more people had it, were, like, especially leading up to the draft, a lot of people were like, like pretty much thought like, this is the land, like this is where Malik Willis yes. is going to go. That was, if there was a guy who turns out to be good that anyone, there was any strong undercurrent of people pushing, it was probably Malik Willis. Shit, the Steelers were linked to Malik and that's Willis. It. Yeah. The whole like Mike Tomlin report that came yeah. out. So so I would say as a Steelers fan, just enjoy that Kenny's looking good so far. Because he is. He looked good. Look good in preseason. All right. Josh Hills on Twitter comes with this. He says, put together a college football all-star team, but only one player per school. I always love these questions. I always love these solid exercises. I don't know why I will spend half hour of my time doing this when it means absolutely zero. But thank you. This is, I live for this shit. All right. For example, you can't have both CJ Stroud and Jack Smith and Jigba. So you have to determine how much better Smith and Jigba is than the next guy and whether it makes worth taking another quarterback. Seth Stroud can use any offensive defense personnel you want, but must have 11 stars per side. So at quarterback, I went Bryce Young because, again, I'm, I'm not going to skimp at quarterback. Even though Will Anderson for his position may be like the head and shoulders one. I, I'm trying to build the best team, so I want any incremental change to quarterback. I think it's going to decrease my chances. Also, with, you know, like I said, with CJ Stroud versus Jack Smith and Jigba, Eileen Jackson Smith and Jigba, so he's my slot receiver. But running back, B. John Robinson from Texas. Wide receiver room. Um, I'm, I need more tape from this year to go to my wide receiver room because I love Quentin Johnson from TCO. Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. Kayshawn Booty looked like his last name would suggest on Sunday night. And I would have put him in there, no questions asked, heading into this season. But I don't know now. I'm still putting him in there. I still believe in the talent. But I could be convinced otherwise. There are some other receivers doing it across college football that may make me rethink this and may make me regret this. One of them being Adonai Mitchell from Georgia, who looked fucking sick in that Oregon game, but only a true sophomore. Big fan of his game. So we shall see. But I put Keishan Booty in there for now. Tight end, I went Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. Offensive line is Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern at left tackle. Andrew Voorhees from USC at left guard. John, John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota at center. Right guards, Lane Robinson from Texas A&M. And right tackle is Anton Harrison, who just moved to right tackle this year from left tackle a season ago. So that worked out very nicely for me. Defensive side of the football, the guy who went from Georgia is Jalen Carter. You watch the game, thinks he's capable of physically he is one of the defense tackles. Siaki Ika, the Baylor defensive tackle, nose tackle, 350-pounder. That's my other one. Give me a nose tackle and a three-tack. Then my edge rushers, Felix and Udike Uzama from Kansas State. 
one of them, my speed rusher, Miles Murphy from Clemson, my power rusher on the other end. Nice little complimentary duo. My linebackers, Noah Sewell from Oregon, Jack Campbell from Iowa, um, because I took Miles Murphy. So no Trenton Simpson. Clemson, it was a, it was a difficult sort of task getting those guys, but that's where I went. Cornerback Cam Smith from South Carolina, because again, some of the other guys they use, whether it's Keely Ringo from Georgia, whether maybe Eli Ricks at Alabama, they're all other positions. Garrett Williams from Syracuse makes it as well. My slot, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, the TCU corner, 5'9", 180. Now, he doesn't play slot there for them, but I do think he'd be fine in the slot. My safety is Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M and Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. Interesting thought exercise. Definitely makes you uh, have to have some debates in your head. Next question here on Twitter. Steven Wagner. What would you consider the definition of NFL arm talent? The raw ability to throw a ball 80 yards effortlessly or being able to put the ball where it is needed accurately 30 yards down the field? Just focusing on the physical aspect of scouting evaluation. When I think of arm talent, it's definitely a combination of just pure strength, accuracy, and I would even throw like your release in there. And and to me, arm talent is my feet don't have to be set. My don't have to be stepping into a throw big time. I just can from any platform, get that ball going up to speed. Think, you know, think Aaron Rodgers on the move. That's arm talent. Get the ball going up speed and where it needs to be. That is what I think of when I'm like arm talent. So a guy like Baker Mayfield may, when he's got his cleats in the ground, stepping in, gets that you know fire from the pocket, he can deliver, but then doesn't always look so when things are kind of breaking down around him, when his feet aren't into it. He doesn't have quite the you know high-end arm talent that you know Josh Allen does, Aaron Rodgers does, that even like a Zach Wilson kind of does. Um, so that's what it is to me. So 80 yards versus 30 yards. If you could throw the ball 80 yards, I'm guessing you can throw it wherever the hell you want um, in terms of speed, whether it's your feet or in the ground, whether or not. But I, I do think it's accurate lines, ball on the line, accuracy with that. I mean, it's it's drive throws, arm talent. Any Anytime you start to feather a ball, anytime you're intentionally adding arc to it, I think that ceased to be arm talent. Arm talent to me is the throws where it's just – fastball going somewhere, whether it's, you know, a dig route, deep posts, that's, you know, 40 yard post that you're putting in there without really trying to get the ball up and over and into a bucket. Those are the throws that to me measure arm talent. So that would be my take on the mythical arm talent that everyone so covets. All right. Samsky on Twitter came with this said, Hey man, Mike, big fan from the Netherlands, considering all the preseason NFL hype, Give me your most overrated team for the season and the most underrated team for the season. P.S. Since you're a Notre Dame fanboy, I assume you watched the Manti, the crazy Manti Teo documentary. Would love to hear your thoughts. Maybe a good one for the next movie talk. Ooh, I don't know. We hadn't. I hadn't thought of that one for the movie, but we. I've already seen it though, so I don't think. I don't think we can. I don't think that's going to be the it's next. It's an easy one. watch though. It was it's like easy two, watch. two. I think it's two hour long episodes, and, yeah. and it was so that's, that is a movie essentially. So that was at, the year after I graduated Notre Dame. I graduated twenty twelve. Um, obviously, they went to the national championship game the next year, and that whole shit went down. I remember when that article dropped on Deadspin. That's all I did that whole day was just read, consume, go on Twitter, anything about Manti Teo because it was insane. 
I don't think can understate how crazy that story was in the moment. Don't right think it could happen trip. today. Could not. Don't it, think it in 2023 it could cuz like you people didn't really know what catfishing and they even yeah. talk about it in a, like spoiler alert, but they even talk about that in the episode like he's like I didn't even know what that was. And, and online footprints are so much bigger today than they were ever back then. Like the fact that someone couldn't find someone on the internet was not a red flag at that point in time. It, it's a red flag now, truthfully. If you can't find shit about about someone, it is. But I mean even at the time I like could not believe the discourse around it. I was like, yeah, well, like he's a dumbass, but to think he's complicit in this was insane. To think it's like he was the other theory was that he was, you know, maybe uh, gay and using this guy as like a beard or whatever. Also insane to me because just knowing what life is like for a likely sheltered, very religious Mormon dude coming from Hawaii, he, that dude was footballing. That was all. Like he probably had again, not to give away even, like too much for people that have seen yeah. it or haven't seen it, but like they even talk about, like he even says in the episode, like basically what you just said, he's like, I came all the way across the country. I don't know anybody. Yeah. Like I had not to say he has no friends, like he has his teammates, but like that would be tough to do. I'd be like, if you went to, you know, the opposite, like Midwest dude and you like go and live mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't know anybody there. Yeah. And, and people criticize the documentary for giving Renaya the catfisher or yeah, the... The guy who catfished Manteo, um, for giving him a platform, her platform, shit, Renaya. Let's keep saying Renaya, uh, a platform. But I'm like, it was good because anyone with a pulse, anyone with a brain, watched that and was like, this is a sociopath. You know, Renaya is like, keeps trying to it's, it's talk predatory. Exactly, like yeah. keeps making every excuse for everything they did at the time, saying, you know giving a woe is me when everyone watching is just like, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. Still don't get how you were the predator in this situation that you were an absolute piece of shit on. Last so. big takeaway. I didn't realize this. I had to look it up today. Mm -hmm. He played seven years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, still a, that's career. a good, like that's a solid NFL career. Yeah. But, but there truthfully is, I mean, for a guy who game was built off of, you know, the larger than life personality, the confidence that anything he wants to do on a football field, he can do. There's no way it didn't change, alter the course of his career. I mean, was he ever going to be, was he ever the athlete that was going to be, you know, multi-time pro bowler? Probably not. But he, his game changed post that. It could not, you know, you're, you're shaken to your core mentally. And every single game is getting brought up to you by the opposing team every single time. It's impossible to ignore him. But Manti still seemed like a chill dude in the documentary. Highly recommend if you haven't seen it. All right, on to the actual question here. Overrated team. I, I hate doing this. I'm going to probably look stupid at the end of the season. I think the Colts have gotten a little bit overrated. Indianapolis Colts. Big reason being Shaquille Leonard, formerly Darius. The report is he's back at some point this season. In quotes, at some point. That's not good. And it's not good for a back injury to be having an uncertain timeline. No one comes back early from back injuries. And <laughs> no, one, no one has had a bad back. Back injuries stay with you. So that was very worrisome to me. Um, they're over-unders 10 wins, same as the Bengals. Um, and I don't think anyone, I, I, I don't think anyone would put it in the same conversation. Now it's different because the conference they're in, or excuse me, the division they're in, that that's why it's 10 wins. But still, favorites in the division over the Titans, I 
I know Matt Ryan's probably an upgrade from Carson Wentz, but I do think the offensive line, what they lost, Narek Fisher, Mark Lewinsky, not going to be the, quite the same unit. I think there's reason to believe that the Colts are just getting a little overhyped. Just a touch. And I'm not saying they're bad. They're a little overhyped. Underrated team. I don't want to keep saying the Dolphins, but I will say the Dolphins. Dolphins are underrated. underrated. We'll see. I'll, I'll delete this podcast episode in six weeks if it looks dumb, but I still think the Dolphins are underrated. All right. Paolo, Paololo, 101 on Twitter, said this. Remote worker in Titans country going to downtown Cincinnati for a company happy hour in a few weeks. What can I expect from the Tokyo Kitty, and are there any other noteworthy places to check out? I love these questions. And about Cincinnati, when your people are coming to Cincinnati, I love when people reach out to me for recommendations on Twitter. I always respond to those. Always happy to gas up Cincinnati because unlike Austin Gale, former uh, tailgate co-host, I love Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's a great city. Very underrated. He hated Cincinnati, and he's leaving Cincinnati, but I'm not. So Tokyo Kitty, though, I can't speak too much. It's a karaoke bar. If that's your thing, by all means, not my thing. I will do karaoke should the people be doing karaoke, but I'm not searching out a karaoke bar. I, I will say there are some, so it's it's kind of a twofold thing. Like there there are some hardcore karaokeers there. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in there and there's like dudes that are like, how do you not have a fucking record? Deal? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like there's the like, voice so, so like it's, it's kind of, if you're just looking for like good time karaoke, it might not be the best place but you they also have like those private rooms you mm-hmm. know what i'm talking about so yeah like, there's if, like if you're, private karaoke yeah if you're getting friends. a private room and i think they have like the beers that like come down through the ceiling i've never done one of those if your team's doing that that's probably pretty sick yeah that's probably pretty fun so basically if you like karaoke you're gonna like the bar if you're not in the mood for karaoke you're gonna want to probably kill yourself like i was feeling on sunday when i tweeted out kill me oh i forgot to say that when i tweeted out kill me on sunday I got a message from yeah, you can't Twitter do that anymore. saying, are you all right? We have, <laughs> we're, uh, let me read Twitter safety notification. Hello, we're writing to you because a concerned individual has alerted us to potential suicidal or self-harming comments posted on your account. In difficult times when you need to talk someone to talk to, it may help to speak to professionals who can assist you in coping with your current circumstances. Mm. Love that Twitter is checking on me. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your concern, guys. But... It was just a hangover, as it usually is. All right. Monty on Twitter. Wait, get to, Oh, uh, no, the Knockback Nats one. Yeah, recommendations. Knockback Nats is right next to Tokyo Kitty if you want a dive bar. Great dive bar. Great wings. I know you love kitties, which is right over there, too. It's cl- Yeah, it's probably three, right close four by. blocks away. Same, same type vibe. If you're looking for a dive bar, spot, yeah. there is, if you're looking for outdoor bar, Rosedale is the best outdoor bar in Cincinnati. Great big patio. Um Next week, still, or whenever it is, still probably going to be warm out. So that will be, those are my recommendations for downtown if you're looking for bars to go to. All right. Monty on Twitter, mailbag question, says this. If Trevor Lawrence has a huge breakout season as top 10 QB in 2022, how much better would the Jacksonville Jaguars be? And would they be real contenders to win the South? And I don't have to tell you that they'd be a top, a lot better, right? There's, you're going from a guy who played bottom five at the quarterback position last year to top 10. That in and of itself Going to be worth, you know, PFF war would tell you somewhere in the neighborhood five, six wins. So that in and of itself going to put them back into the 500 kind of conversation. A lot of other additions on this roster. I like the way their defensive line shaking out. I think they'll be able to get after quarterbacks a lot better. I actually like Josh Allen to possibly lead the league in sacks because he's plus 5,000 right now because of that as a good bet. Just because a lot more leads, a lot more opportunities, and 
they'll get talked about Jacksonville Jaguars if they turn things around a lot. Um, but could they win the division? Yes, because I think it's a weak division. You still got the Texans there. And I just called, shit, I just called the Colts one of the most overrated teams in the NFL. So I do think win the division, but are they still on paper, even outside the quarterback position? They are a clear third behind the Titans and Colts. Like clearly third. So they better be that much better at quarterback. Like Lawrence better not just be top 10. He better be, you know, top, top six, top seven. Top, like he better be in that echelon where every single game he's given you a floor that's like 20 points plus. Then you can convince me they can win the division. Until then, until I see that, I still think they're going to fall somewhere in the 7, 10, 8, and 9, 9, and 8 range and probably not be good enough to make the playoffs. All right, let's go, let's go to Brand Staley, though, because Chargers head coach, gracious enough with his time. Coach me up, man. I, I love the way he talked, um, and obviously the content of what he said, but just the way he answered questions felt like I immediately was in a meeting room getting coached up on how to play the game of football. So it was fantastic. Let's listen in, uh, and we'll go to some segments afterwards. All right, I'm my pleasure to be joined now by head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley, and coach. I want to start right here with Derwin James, now the highest paid safety in the NFL, deservedly so by pretty much every single person's opinion. With each passing day of the hold-in, were you getting a little antsy there? Were you were you going to Tom Telesco's office saying, "Hey, let's let's maybe bump that bump that up a little bit that offer"? No, it, it was a great process with Derwin because he was here for the whole time, and uh, I think. You know, having some experience with with big contracts like this, coaching some guys like that, you know, the bigger the contract, the more there's going to be little things that they need to get worked out. But Derwin just handled it, uh, you know, like the leader that he is, uh, the, like the special person that he is. Anyone that's been around Derwin James just knows the the magnetic presence that this guy has. And he was there every day working out and um, he was there in all the walkthroughs. He was at practice. And so you you, you felt him the whole way through. And, and then for it to for it to get finished in training camp and for our team to be able to celebrate with him, uh, th those are big moments. That's a dream coming true. And, you know, in the NFL, the players know who's worth it. And, uh, you know, to see his teammates be able to celebrate with him uh, was really big for our team. Yeah, yeah. How important is a guy like Derwin and how much like a guy that takes back the balance of power and a guy that often have to account for instead of how it usually is vice versa? Uh, on your defense and how much does your scheme change when he's on the field versus when maybe he's not on the field? Well, Derwin's one of one, you know, in the NFL. And, and, you know, I think when you start with the premise that you, you win in, in the NFL inside out, you know, Derwin's just a lot of places inside out, you know, he doesn't just play safety. Um, you know, he's 15 to 18 to 20 yards deep. That's not how he plays. He can do that. Um, but he's in the middle of your defense. He can play either safety spot. He can play star. He can play money. He can play X. He's our signal caller. He's in the middle of everything. And he allows you to play different because he's a matchup guy um, in pass rush, in pass coverage, um, in zone coverage. Uh, he's a guy that can really provide a lot of, you know, layers to your defense, a lot of texture to your defense. Um, and, you know, he's one of the rare players in the league. And um, that's why he's worth it. You know, if you, you know, if you were just assessing him as a, a safety um, that wouldn't be the impact that he has playing all the things that he does for us. And then, you know, the value of him being our signal caller and the leader of our defense and certainly one of the leaders of our team, um, you know, that's why he means so much to us. 
Yeah, so you just said it right there. He's worth it. You came from over from Los Angeles and the Rams where they've had this or it's what's been colloquially known as stars and scrubs sort of approach. And that's obviously not super accurate, but they've been paying the game changers on the defensive side of the ball and basically either side of the ball and kind of let the rest of their roster be filled out with guys who are lesser paid. If you're building your defense kind of from scratch, would you rather have that elite player at every single level of your defense or would you rather have no holes and but maybe not a game changer at every single level? Well, to be a championship team, you got to have all three levels of your defense operating at a high level. You know, when I was um, in Chicago and we were the number one defense in the NFL, we had all three of the levels of our defense were, you know, outstanding. I mean, you had Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Bilal Nichols, Roy Robertson, Harris. We had Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan. We had the best nickel in the NFL, Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, Prince Amukamara, Eddie Jackson, and Adrian Amos. So that was a very complete group. When I was with the Rams, you know, when you start with A.D. and Ramsey, you know, you talk about Michael Brocker, Sebastian Joseph Day, Morgan Fox. Um, you have uh, Leonard Floyd on the edge of your defense. Um, you have, you know, Ramsey, John Johnson, one of the premium safeties in the league. Troy Hill, Darius Williams, who are outstanding cover players um, at corner. We had a lot of safeties, Jordan Fuller, you know, Terrell Burgess. That was a very complete defense. Yeah, we had some star players that everybody knows about, but those were complete uh, all three levels of defense, and that's why they were number one defenses. And I think, you know, when you're building a team, um, what you want to be able to do is build a team that has three levels of the defense operating, and then that you have the difference makers. Now, where the difference makers are, um, I think that's different team to team and how you play and what you value. Um, but it certainly starts with, you know, having rushers and cover players. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's something that um, is kind of, um, tried and true in the NFL, but then you have to have difference makers in the middle of your defense too. And so um, how that's expressed it with the money and all that, the draft picks, you know, that I think it's different team to team, but the bottom line is, is you need to be a complete, you know, defense in order to be one of the best in the NFL. So one of those difference makers you had back at Chicago, back in 2018 was Kilo Mack, who you now have once again, when you, when you heard that trade went through back when you're the outside linebackers coach, second year in the NFL, what were your first thoughts way back when you were with Chicago? And what did you even teach a guy like that? Or did you have him teach you a little bit about how to rush the passer? Well, things happen quickly. That's one of those moments I won't forget anytime soon that we traded for him one week before our season, uh, signed him to that, that, that big contract. And then a week later, he's playing in the game of his life for Green Bay without an offseason, without a training camp. Uh, and I, that was my first experience with a with a rare NFL player. That was my first, you know, kind of exposure to one of the special players in the game. And um, I learned so much from him and we got to know each other. We were spending, you know, 16, 18 hours a day with one another. We had to get to know each other quickly. And um, and so it was a partnership. It was a friendship that will last a lifetime. You know, there's no way I'm here as the head coach of the Chargers without him. Um, and that's what happens in the NFL. You get to join up with special players like Khalil and um, you're able to accomplish a lot of things. And um, he's just a rare competitor. He's a complete player. One of the, you know, the elite players as a rusher, as a run defender, um, his versatility, um, the type of instincts that he has at the game. He's a primetime player in all the big games. And um, he's a guy that I really felt like could impact our, our team in many ways, not just our defense, but our team. Uh, and I'm so thankful that he's here. Have you guys had any discussions with him and, and obviously Joey Bosa, two of the elite rushers on third down, obvious pass situation, who gets to rush over the bad tackle on the other team? Have you had that conversation? 
<laughs> yeah, they, they may be, um, you know, flipping coins for that. Uh, I'm not sure. But, I, you know, I know that those guys have – it's been special to watch two guys like that team up. Um, you know, I think Khalil, you know, Khalil's a little bit older than Joey, but it, Joey was always the guy that we were watching. You know, I mean, Joey's uh, – his reputation precedes him in this league, and it didn't matter if I was coaching Von Miller in Denver or if we were going to the Rams, you know, uh, with those guys. I mean, Joey was a guy that um, has, has earned his way in this league as one of the premium players. And I think for Khalil to learn from Joey and then vice versa, they're very different um, style players, but I think there's – elements of each other's game that they can that, that they've learned from and I they've got this really cool chemistry uh and I've just I've loved the way they've teamed up and then they're making each other better they're making our team better on defense and then on offense Rashawn Slater Trey Pipkins you know those guys making Justin Herbert better um you know those guys teaming up for us and us being able to deploy them in a lot of different locations is going to hopefully be a winning edge for us. So you're known in the media as a defensive guru, but you're a former quarterback. Is, is it ever weird to think about that? Like, you know, everyone knows you're the defensive side of the ball, but you came up obviously playing on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I'm just an offensive player coaching defense. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I, I was a quarterback and I am a quarterback. Um, and that's the way I think. And that's the way I've been trained. Um, and that's how I coach our defense. Um, I train our D linemen to think like a quarterback. Um, and, and I think that that, uh, is the best way to do it. That's the only way that I know how to do it. And, um, and now being able to be the head coach and being able to impact the offensive side of the football and your kicking game, um, you know, that's been one of the best parts of the job, you know, is that you're able to impact how we play in all phases. And, um, hopefully our offense reflects me as much as anything. How much do you stress basically what kind of you just outlined there about how, like people knowing other people's jobs, not just their own within the scheme. Yeah. Well, you know, on the field that number one, on your side of the ball, you're playing with 10 other guys. And then there's, you know, 11 guys on the other side of the football. And there's 22 people that you need to be aware of at all times. Um, and you, you need to know how it fits together. What I try to do is explain, you know, try to give the offense a, a you know, a lens and how defensive football is played, you know, different systems, different coordinators, um, different techniques, different players, matchups, uh, time score, uh, and then vice versa, you know, really trying to be transparent with our defense and saying, hey, this is our thought press on offense. This is what this is what we're trying to attack. This is who we're trying to attack. Um, this is a thought process and, and bringing that all together so that you have a football team that ultimately is thinking like a coach. And I think when players uh, become your coaches, that's when you have, you know, a, a real chance. And uh, that's what we're trying to do here is, is build a football team, you know, where everyone is thinking that way and operating that way. And, um, you know, I love that part about being a head coach. So you came up under, I guess, what would be called the Vic Fangio coaching tree, which has been philosophically categorized as kind of pass first, defending the pass first, taking some numbers out of the running game comparatively to other schemes around the NFL. Did that rub off on you or were you kind of of that mold once you joined Vic Fangio in Chicago? Well, the thing about Vic is that, um, you know, we were the number one run defense in the NFL in 2018. Um, it's just really how you structure um, your back seven in terms of whether you're a pre-aligned defense or you're a post-snap, you know, rotation team. And, you know, the number one thing that we're trying to affect is the quarterback, you know, every snap. You know, that's the player that you have to impact every snap. Um, and so that's where our thought process is. But to be able to play like that, um, you need to be able to play a certain way up front. And so when you take a look at Vic's defenses when he was in Chicago, um, San Francisco, 
uh, Denver, you know, Carolina Panthers, you know, they were always outstanding versus the run and they always rushed the passer at a high level and they always got takeaways. And so that's the sign of a, a very complete defense. And that's what um, I think of when I think of Vic Fangio as a, as a guy that impacts um, all phases of offensive football, not just the passing game, but in terms of, you know, the way we structure our defense, um, certainly that's, um, you know, the first thought process is, is affecting the quarterback and understanding that the explosions in the passing game are, are really what gut you. It takes a lot of four yard runs to equal a 40 yard pass. Um, and, but in order to live like that, you got to structure your front seven accordingly. Um, and, and that's what, you know, I think a lot of people um, don't understand about the way we play is that you have to be, you know, a tough, rugged outfit up front, you know, in order to uh, play the way that we want to play. And, um, you know, and just we want to have as many ways that we can play you um, week to week as possible. So I'm a draft analyst here at PFF. I look at a lot of game football team building through that lens. And I'm always very curious about the dynamic that exists between head coaches and GMs when it comes to draft decisions, and especially those that revolve around kind of schematic decisions, how guys fit in. So when you are making decisions in the draft, are you evaluating each prospect yourself and how they'd fit within your scheme? Or are you basically describing your scheme, what you need to GM Tom Telesco there and saying, this is what I need. Now go get that for me. Which way? Do you lean there? Well, it's it's so you know you're you're connected in in all ways, and what you're trying to do with your um, scouting department is allow them to scout more players, not less. Um, what we don't try to do is be so specific that there's not enough players that you can actually join up with. What we want to do is create more options for our team, not less. And so what we try to do is try to give them um, critical factors, position specific skills, um, but then we also have hybrid models of that position um, because I think you know, nowadays that, that that's where the NFL is, is, you know, having hybrid versions of a corner, of a D lineman, of a linebacker, of an edge player. Um, and I think that allows you to scout more players and then us showing them how we've utilized these types of players. Like, hey, we live in a comp-based world. It's like real estate. It's like, here is a comp of this player in the league. Here's a starter, elite starter, starter, backup comp. Here are examples of this player so that again, you have a picture in your mind of, of what that looks like, who that looks like, um, and then show them being deployed within the scheme and having your personnel department understand the way that you play, okay? That's what is important is that they understand the way you play and how they're gonna be utilized, okay? And so that, that requires you being connected. And Tom has been, you know, Tom's just, if you know him, he's a football guy, he's been um, trained the right way uh, with a Hall of Fame general manager, Bill Polian. I mean was with the Bills, you know, with Marv Levy, Tony Dungy, great head coaches. Um, and he's, you know, he's been such a great teammate. And the Spanos family, like John Spanos, you know, our team president has got a scouting background. And so when your ownership is connected that way, you know, you feel like, hey, your alignment is going to give you a chance in order to be successful. And so, um, and then it's our job when, 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 when Tom, you know, drafts these players, when we draft them as a team, that we go utilize them to the fullest and that, we develop them over time because it's the it's a developmental game, and so um, you know we're uh, we're off to a good start, I think, as a, as a as a program. I'm very interested in what you said there about making player comps. You said you know best case scenario, or I guess it was a high end middling starter, low end kind of comp. Because Daryl Morey, former Houston Rockets GM, has said you know in his scouting history that he forbade 
you know, guys from making comps because he thought that oftentimes, you know, the high-end comps would lead people to fall in love with players when they really, really shouldn't have because there's oftentimes high-end guys are outliers. So how do you use comps in your evaluation process then? And do you find value in this? Yeah, I mean, if you've read The Undoing Project and you re read about Daryl and, and stuff like that, like, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're not saying that it's exactly like this, but I will tell you that, you know, you have to know what you're looking for in order to find it, okay? And there has to be, um, an outline so that people can go follow it. Um, and it can't be a choose your own adventure, um, you know, when it comes to the scouting. Okay. And, um, you know, the way that we play, um, we have a certain style that we're looking for. Okay. And, um, and I think when you define that, okay, it's a lot easier to look for it. Okay. And so what we try to do is define it so that there's no confusion, um, over, what is being expected of this player, what role this guy would be um, serving. Um, and then also having some acceptance because what, again, what you don't want to do is be so specific um, that you narrow your pool. You know, you have to be accepting of a player who he is and who he is not. And I think that you have to define that as well in the process so that you're not always complaining about what he doesn't have. What we try to do is find out what he does have and then try to maximize it to the fullest. Um, but we, you know, what we try to do is, um, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a football team is operate under that type of system. So la I'll leave you with this one. Last question here. You're kind of like it or not the face of the fourth down conversation in the media. And I just had a great interview with Luke Fickle this week where he said he doesn't care about standing up to the media after fourth down decisions. He said, I care about standing up to my players and telling them that I believed in them. What do you say in the locker room or to your team the week of after fourth down decisions and after, uh, maybe things didn't bounce your way in, in situations like that. Well, that's why Luke's a good coach. That's why they're doing a heck of a job down there at Cincinnati. Um, you know, I think what it's about is, um, you know, it's about your, your locker room. It's about your club, your organization and having transparency and, and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and it's about a mindset more than anything. You know, I know that um, the math gets looked at and, um, certainly I'm into that, you know, um, as long as, you know, people have been coaching probability has been a big part of the game. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's about mindset for me. Um, it's about mindset for us as a team, um, and playing the game on our terms and, and, and being aggressive when you need to be. And, and then if you don't need to be, then, you know, not being that way. So you, what I think is important for everyone to understand is you treat each decision like it has a life of its own. And that's what I tell our players every single day that I'm here is you treat each decision like you have a life of its own. Um, but what we're not going to be around here is we're not going to be um, scared to go meet a moment head on. Um, and we're not going to be, you know, scared to put the ball in our players' hands and let them be the deciders. Um, and I think that when you have confidence in your group both ways, both offensively and defensively and in the kicking game, um, then there's like a freedom that comes with that. And um, that's what we want. We want our guys to be fearless, you know, at these games. And um, we also want them to know that it's a team game and that no matter how it goes, um, we're going to win and lose as a team. And then if it doesn't go down, what you do is you take full responsibility for everything that happens. Um, you're not defensive about it. Um, you understand that these are big decisions and that you're not going to get it all right, but all you're trying to do is the best you can. And that's all that we try to do here. Um, and, you know, we're going to keep getting better at it as we go. Uh, but I think, you know, you, you said it, you know, what, what's most important is your football team and the way that they feel. Love that mindset. Awesome stuff, coach. Really, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me guys. 
Good luck. Great stuff from Brand Staley. I don't want to say I'm all in the Chargers because pretty much anytime anyone goes all in the Chargers, they disappoint. But I'm kind of all in on Brand Staley's head coach, at least just a coach in the NFL. He just very eloquent in how he approaches it, very straightforward. You got to know what you're getting. Love that he goodwill hunting me when I talked about um, the Undoing Project. Where I, you know, he's like, Yeah, I, he uh, said, You know, it was like the bar scene where he's like, yeah, you read Baker's? Yeah, I, I read it too. That's, what, that's basically what he did to me when I brought up the player comp stuff. But I do love comps. For the record, I love player comps. I think they're very valuable. I've lamented bad player comps being a great sign of being able to tell who knows what the hell they're talking about and who doesn't. But I do think player comps is something I want. I'm going to, I do obviously do for every single player in the PFF draft guy, but I kind of want to do implement what he said. A high-end player comp, a sort of realistic player comp and then kind of a low-end player comp to really give you the whole skill set, to really like identify what this guy is. And I like doing the player comps and thinking about him because then it really clears the picture in your mind of who, what is unique about the guy, who he is, what makes him him and what he's bringing to the table from value perspective as a prospect. So like I said, that I, I think I'm implementing that idea. So shout out to Brand Saley for that. Um, I will say this, Movie Club, American Underdog Story. It's on Hulu. Watch it before Thursday's episode. We'll give a full breakdown. I've already had some people in the DMs giving me some of their reviews. Love it. Keep them coming. And the takes call out. Speak pipes. It's in the link below. You got a take? You want me to hear? You want to hear live on the show? Send them in. Be on Thursday's show. I already got a few good ones in there. We're re-upping this one, though. Fun to watch because I saw a bunch this preseason. I'm not going to call out all of them. We're not going to just go through every single one each week, but I'm going to try to find the best ones, the cream of the crop each week in the fun to watch space. Also going to actually use the segment for things that were fun to watch over the week that was. Call those out. And then we're also going to do some of the fun to watch ancillary. And we'll, I'll explain that more when we get to there. But the first one here is just, I, don't, I think this is almost like jump the shark. FanDuel tweeted out this. They literally tweeted out which LA team will be more fun to watch this season, like for the Chargers, retweet for the Rams. Just the most, not only not like a take, again, winning this means like nothing, but comparing two teams and their fun to watch this as like the most pointless, one of the most pointless tweets I've ever seen. Pure engagement. 2,000 likes though. 2,000 likes. Pure, pure engagement. Like, I mean, like, I mean, we kind of do the same thing. It, like, you know, right? Like, yeah. you you yeah. Ha- you track that stuff, and you know it's going to perform well. It's like tweeting They're out. Like, like, it's like they knew, like, this is an automatic 2,000 likes. It's like tweeting out High last, last Sunday without football. Yeah. You know you're going to get a fucking zillion people being like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I can't wait. I like football. I like watching football. Hopefully, none of those 2,000 likes were any talking ball listeners. I know they weren't. We've taught you guys well. All right. Next one here is an actual, like, fun to watch. This was... This came from Zach Gelb of CBS Radio. And I respect to this guy interviewing Aaron Donald. And we have the clip here, but doesn't back down when basically Aaron Donald's PR agent is like, back the hell down. Just watch. What happened last week in joint practices? Because we all saw the video of you swinging helmets and people were wondering uh, what was going on there. Um, it was just a practice. You know, obviously people got phones out and things like that, but. I I don't I'm not gonna sit and talk about negative stuff that happened at a practice. My main focus is Buffalo. So, 
Was there any internal punishment? We talked. We talked. So, were you thinking maybe you were going to get suspended or anything? Hey, Zach. I wasn't worried about it. So, yeah, we're just going to focus um, just here because Aaron's here today to talk about Dr. Teals. So, you do have two minutes left if you want to pivot to your last question, please. Okay, just one more thing, Aaron, on this, and I'll get to Dr. Teals. Um, like, what sparked it? Just wondering, because I think people are curious about it. Well, being a guy that's 31 years old, my main focus is football, obviously. Um, the physical part, you, you do, but it's more about the recovery thing that I need to do and, and being a partner with Dr. Teals and be able to use Dr. Teals twice or three times a week to help my body recover. And, you know, I usually soak 15, 20 minutes in the tub, um, help me to be able to play at a high level and be productive. So, um, you know, um, you, you learn a lot more as you get older as far as it ain't all about work, work. You know, you got to take care of your body and, and make sure that you're able to play at a high level and, and be able to do, partner with Dr. Teal's, a product that I actually use and love. Um, been great for me the past few years and I'm going to continue to do it as long as I can play at a high level and, and doing everything I need to do to take care of my body so I can be able to perform. So, Oh, my God. When are like these PR people going to realize that that's, that's not good PR? The, the guy, the athlete coming on with a scripted spiel is never good. Respect to Zach Elp, though. I, I, my ass would have backed down so hard after I knew that he had no interest in answering after his answer to the first question. But he didn't. He kept the follow-up so, so that the PR person had to get in there and say, talk about Dr. Teals. It reminded me of when, have you ever seen the clip of, God, I can't remember the, the picture off the top of my head, on Dan Patrick's show talking about Qualcomm. Have you ever seen that one? No. Oh, my God. He, so Dan Patrick's trying to ask, is Matt Harvey. There we go. Former Mets pitcher. Former Reds pitcher. Reds pitcher. Get it right. This is back a while ago. I'm looking up 2013. When Dan's like trying to, same shit, where obviously at some point he's going to talk about Qualcomm, which a pitcher talking about a telecommunications chip company, like could not be a match made in heaven more so than that. Like that's what I think of when I think of MLB baseball is Qualcomm. But he's there to do that same spiel pitch. And Dan Patrick wants to ask a few questions about baseball. And Matt Harvey literally says, I'm here to honor Qualcomm at some point during the show. And Dan Patrick's just like, get off, get off there. It, it was incredible. If you haven't seen the clip, go back and watch. But I will say, though, I rock with Dr. Teals. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, that shit works. So, hey, if anybody, a from, Dr. Teals sponsor. Yeah, if you guys want a Dr. Teals, if anybody's listening, if you guys want to sponsor the show, I, Really and truly do use the products and they work. Mm, so, okay. Me and Aaron Donald, Dr. Teal's users. Well, you maybe. can tell a lot by our physiques. <laughs> it's very similar. All right. Last one here. And, and this is the fun to watch corollary. This one came this preseason from Ryan Fowler and tweets out a clip of Trayvon Walker. And he says, Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker are going to be a lot to handle for a long time in Jacksonville. A lot to handle is right up there with make some noise, which I've already lamented on the show. But those are going to be, those are in the fun to watch glossary. We're going to keep a glossary this season. Make some noise is in there. And now a lot to handle is also in there. Because it, it doesn't really mean a lot. It, you know, like a lot to handle. It, it means they're capable of being handled, truthfully. So it's not that big of a sort of gassing of tires. There is, there are a lot of players that are a lot to handle around the NFL. And Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen are two of them. All right, next segment. First round locks here. First one of the season. We'll keep it tight because 
didn't have a massive game this weekend, but it's like they were playing Utah State, and it's Will Anderson. Will Anderson's the he's going to be a first rounder. He didn't have to play a snap this season. He could tear his ACL tomorrow. I'm not putting that on him. Sorry, I didn't even mean to bring that up. But he's going to be a first rounder in the twenty twenty three. Whew. 2023 already. 2023 NFL. Let's take it a step further. Do you think he could go number one overall? Like, no. Will he be the number one overall pick? No. This quarterback class. But what if like some, what if something crazy happens, right? Like what if somebody that has a quarter, like a Bengals type situation where you have a quarterback have to. and he gets hurt and it's like, well, we don't really need that now. I mean, I guess you trade out. But like there's shit out. that could happen and like he is a caliber type player that could maybe go number one overall. I could see it. Are you going to stand on that or no? I'll call him a top five lock. Can right. I call him a top five lock? Yep. He's a top five lock. Good compromise. Top five lock. Will Anderson. I was going to say, I didn't tease the segment at the top because it's always a surprise when it comes. But it's Acho time. Because he had a spectacular, spectacular Saturday on Twitter. He came back with his rules of college football. And they are this. One. This is a graphic with his face on it, by the way, if you're not watching on YouTube. It's the best part. College football rules. According to Sam Acho, or excuse me, Emmanuel Acho, Sam is his brother. Don't call me anytime on a Saturday. Two, if for some reason you decide to text me, it had better be to ask, did you see that? To which I will reply, what do you think? Three, if someone is dying, call 911 before you call me. They're more likely to answer. Four, if someone has already died, do not call me. There is nothing I can do. There is no need for both of us to be sad. And five, if you are confused about my availability until January, please refer back to rule number one. The, the corniest, most Facebook 50-plus demographic tweet of all time. Just That probably got shared a million times on Facebook. Do you That's think he made that graphic himself? Group. Or do you think he has like a guy? As a guy make graphics? He probably has a guy make graphics. If he, if he has... I'm looking at the camera right now. If you are... Emmanuel Acho's graphics guy. Please reach out. Hit me up and I will get you a job. You can make graphics for this show. <laughs> Do not subject yourself to that, please. Oh, they just thinking of Emmanuel Acho being I like think he did in, make that some though. work channel, sending a message being like, I need this done by Saturday. <laughs> I think he I did make this, this though because like that looks like very like when i oh, say yeah. canva do you know what i'm talking about okay. like yeah. it's it's pretty it's free and it's pretty easy to use yeah. like that's not like uh let, like let me just let me just think that he asked some guy to do it but then here's the best part and this came from charles mcdonald who did a little more research into sam emmanuel Acho than i was willing to do he stole the entire list the entire list was stolen from some like ifunny.com message board graphic that's been posted the date there, June 21st. He stole the entire list. It was not a creative thought. It was him repurposing with his face on. Just spectacular. I just, just self-awareness levels that I cannot fathom. It's insane. They stole the entire list. I think he should have just put his face over the Alabama A right there. That would have been <laughs> the, that would have been They're the really best. stealing yeah. it. Oh my Lord. Yep, so that was Acho time. All right, that's it for the Monday show. We'll be back on Thursday with a full NFL betting preview with a special guest, Dr. Odds. Not Dr. Oz. Dr. Odds will be joining the show on Thursday, as well as Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell. Get your speak pipes in, and we will see you guys on Thursday. Take it sleazy. Oh.